I love church, amen? Come on, this is a gift. Church right here that we get to come together every single week, see each other, give some high fives, and sing about the, the glory of God together and hear from his word together. What a gift it is. And again, if you're a first-time guest here, welcome to Walk Church. It's a special gift that you chose to join us here today. Well, we've been walking verse by verse through this powerful book in the Bible known as Ephesians. Ephesians is a six-chapter book toward the end of your Bible, the right side, in the New Testament. It's a church that the Apostle Paul planted, and he's writing a letter to this church. We've already made our way through chapters one all the way through four, and today we're entering into chapter five. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's see, Father God, before we eat from your word today, great is your faithfulness to teach us your word. So, Lord, help us today. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds that are not distracted but focused. Come on, pray that with me right now. Just say, God, give me focus. Give us focus, Holy Spirit. Help us to take a step today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin today in verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me there now. We also have it for you on the screen. Praise the Lord. The scripture says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2 says, And walk. I love the walk verses. We We got to select all the walk verses and just pop them out. And walk in, say it with me, in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Along this journey of walking through Ephesians, we've been taking chunks of the scripture, whether it's half a chapter or a full chapter, and we've been titling each chapter with a specific subtitle. Uh, As we make our way through this first half of Ephesians 5, I want to title it with just one word, the word imitate, the word imitate imitate. We're going to get to know this word imitate over the next few weeks as we unpack Ephesians 5 verse 1 all the way through 21. In the first installment of this Ephesians 5 imitate series, I want to title this message today with this phrase, don't hate, imitate. Amen? Don't hate, imitate. Don't you want to say it with me? Come on, say it with me. Don't hate, imitate. How about you look into the person directly next to you and say, friend, Don't hate, imitate. If you're watching online, don't hate. Don't be leaving some hater stuff in the comments. Imitate, all right? Um, What what are we imitating? Who are we imitating? That's a good question to ask. We're going to see that here in the scripture right now. Ephesians 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God. Therefore... Be imitators of God. We are directly coming out of Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about what it means to put on Christ, put off self. Put on Jesus, put off sin. Put on Christ, off self, off the world, off sin, etc. We're putting on Jesus. That, that's where we're coming from. And now he says, therefore, since we understood that, therefore, you need to start walking it out which means become an imitator of God. I want us to to dive deep into what this means to be an imitator. The word imitate 
uh, defined is simply this, to take or follow as a model. The Oxford Pocket Dictionary is actually the dictionary. Whenever you Google a word, that first definition that pops up is the Oxford Pocket, the OXPD. It says, take or follow as a model. Let me just go ahead and boil down Christianity to you in a simple definition. To take the life of Jesus and to begin following him. That we're, 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 we're imitating him. We, we're, we're taking him. We're putting off self, we're putting on him, and now we're beginning to follow him. In other words, we're allowing him to live his life through us. Amen? An intimidator, not an intimidator, an imitator, clarify, an imitator uh, is a noun by the Webster's Dictionary is simply this, a person who adopts the appearance or behavior of another, especially in an obvious way. Here's what this means, church, listen to me. That people in this world or let's just scale down into our city in Las Vegas, over 2 million people in our city, right? A, a big city that we live in. Our city should get around the church, should it get around Walk Church, and here's what they should see. They should see people who have adopted the appearance of our Savior. His name's Jesus, and our behavior has changed, right? Uh, we become a, a people that represent, represent Christ in an obvious way. This depends on whether you're living real Christianity or not. Real Christianity looks like I'm imitating God. That I'm growing deeper and closer and I'm beginning to look a little bit more like him every single day. If you really want to live the on and off lifestyle, put off self, put on Christ, and just begin imitating him. That's what we're called to do. Therefore, now be imitators of God. Some of you guys know this about me, but if you don't, I'll just let you know right now. I'm a sports guy, primarily a basketball guy. Basketball season is coming up soon, and I'm getting excited. I'm an NBA fan, all right? Now, it's not a God in my life. It's just a game. Let's not confuse the two. There's some people that aren't at church today because their God is on TV. Oh, hello. Yikes. All right, anyways, um, lowercase g, God. Uh, but for those of you guys, you guys made it, praise the Lord. Amen? Come on. Give yourself a pat on the back. Not too long. All right, let's jump right back in. So I'm a sports fan, and, and I've grown up a basketball guy. And so I, I was actually in a sports shop not too long ago, and I saw this painting. And I said, man, I really want that painting. And I decided, Nina and I together, I was like, I'm going to bless myself, all right? <laughs> and I went and I said, can I bless, can I bless myself today? Um, and I picked up this painting. I'll show you a picture of it, right? It's two of my favorites, right? It, it's, it's the goats, right? It's Michael Jordan, who is the goat, goat standing for greatest of all time. And he's with his mentee right here. Kobe Bryant. Um, sorry to all you LeBron fans. Sorry, not sorry. All right. Um, and so I, I picked up this painting, and, 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 it, and when I was studying for this message, it, I felt like the Lord drew me to this example because I, I read an article that ESPN produced uh, by Baxter Holmes. He actually got to sit down with Kobe Bryant in, in a conversation about how he became the player that he became, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Here's what he said in quote. As a kid growing up in Italy, all I had was video. So I studied everything. Brian said, I studied every player. And then once I came to the States and I realized I wasn't going to be six foot nine, I started studying Michael Jordan exclusively. And then when I came to the league and was matching up against him, what I found is that he was extremely open to having a mentor relationship 
giving me a great amount of advice and amazing amount of detail, strategy, workouts, and a regimen, things like that. He went on to say, seriously, I don't think people really understand the amount of impact that he's had on me as a player and as a leader. I've studied 100% of things about him. So why do I share that with you? Well, I share this as an example of somebody who wanted to imitate somebody. They say that Kobe Bryant imitated even Jordan's shoulder moves. He got down to the very facial expressions he would use. Here's why, because he wanted to be great. He wanted to be like Mike. In Ephesians 5, it says that we're called to be like Christ. Point, case in point, that if you don't study Jesus, you won't be like him. The word study, by definition, is this, what students do. A disciple is a student of Jesus. A disciple is someone who says, I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to grow up to be just like you. Teach me everything. I think one of our problems today is we, we don't study him enough to imitate him. We know different remnants about Jesus. We know different things and specifics. Maybe he was like this. Maybe. Did Jesus do that? Did he, I don't know. Why don't you read about it? Because we actually have a book about Jesus. Do you remember those wristbands that said WWJD? They were really popular back in the day. I think they're still really cool, but I would just change the word do to done. Like, what has Jesus done? And you got four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's all about Jesus. You got uh, 66 books that's all about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are you getting to know him so you can imitate him? Kobe said, I would watch videos. I would study everything about him so I could be like him. Here, we're called to imitate God. We need to get to know him. We need to get to know the person we want to imitate. The word imitate, remember, it means to be like the person in obvious ways. How are you going to be like someone that you don't know? The good news is, friend, that we can get to know him. And I want to encourage you as we go on this imitate series is don't hate. <laughs> imitate. Don't, don't hate on God. Imitate God. That's the calling on all of our lives is to be an imitator of him. And, and let, me be encourage, let me encourage you with this, is that the more we get to know God, the more we get to be like God, and really the cool thing is this, the more God begins to live his life through us. I think there's a challenge here. It's a tension that, that if we're not careful, we can think, man, we need to work really, really hard to be like God. When in reality is if you can actually do what Jesus told us to do, deny ourselves Actually, Paul would say in Galatians 2, crucify ourselves. So go ahead and jump up on the cross, too, and say, myself has died and has been buried with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's now Christ who lives through me. If you have a really hard time imitating God, it's because you're trying really hard. I'll tell you what, you won't have a hard time imitating God if you allow Jesus to just live his life through you. You'll start imitating God because that's what God does. That if we can get out of the way and wake up every morning and say, Jesus, what do you want to do today? What do you want to say to me today? Where do you want me to go today? Give me direction, vision, wisdom, peace, counsel, comfort. I need all those things, and I'll follow you. If you say jump, I'll say how high. If you say go, I'll say let's do it. I'll say where. 
I'm, someone's tracking with me. I'm with you. Let's go do it together. Amen? Right? Like, let's go ahead and follow Jesus together. That's the type of imitating that he's looking for, and he'll be able to do it through you if you let him. So there has to be a real denial of self today. I mean, let's go have a funeral today of you. Like, go ahead and just jump in the grave and then let Jesus resurrect you to be the new and better you. That's why Paul says, I'm a new creation. It's no longer me, it's Christ who lives through me, in me, in me, right? Think about our verse, Colossians 2.6. It says, therefore, as you've received Jesus, comma, so walk in him. And that's what it looks like to start imitating God. He continues in this verse. He says, therefore, be imitators as, of God as beloved children. As beloved children. This is a, a, a crucial point in the scripture to highlight. If you miss this, you'll miss everything. As beloved children. or Some translations say as dearly loved children. This word beloved is a special word. It's the Greek word agapidos. Agapidos. It's where we get the other word for love, agape. There's three different types of love in the Bible. Right? There's phileo love, which is a brotherly love. It's where we get the name Philadelphia City. It's like, yo, I love you, bro. You're my friend. Then there's eros love. It's a sexual love. It's where we get our English word erotica. Right? It's an eros love. And then there is a agape love, which is the highest level of love. We don't even have an English word for it. The English word for agape love is agape love. It's next level, unconditional it's a choice type of love. It's not a feeling. It's I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you regardless. And here's what he says. He says, be imitators of God. You know why? Because of who you are. You are an agape child. You are a deeply loved child of God. Here's what I felt like the Lord was speaking to me as I was studying this. That my identity should motivate my activity. Does that make sense? My identity as a deeply loved son of God should be the driving force behind my imitating God. That this is basically saying, I want to be like my dad. Like, and I know that some people in the room may have some real deep father scars in your life. And, and I don't want to walk past that. I just want to encourage you in the room today that that doesn't have to be the closing of your story. You could have a great heavenly father who is present, real, loving, on time, forgiving, merciful, etc. All those things is who he is. And he says, be like me. I love you. Amen. Think about it like this. In Jesus' baptism, when he's baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew 3, right? God the Father shows up at the baptism. And what does he say? This is my beloved son. How about God says that to Jesus there? He says that to us here. The same language that's used for Jesus is used for me and you in Ephesians 5 verse 1. That God looks at you, Jay and Zena, and says, you are my beloved children. I agape you. Imitate me. That our imitating is directly linked to our identity. So we have to first see ourselves as loved sons and daughters of the king of kings, amen? That God had his heart on you 
before you were even born, and he said, I want to adopt you into my family. Like God showed up at the spiritual adoption agency, picked you out, and said, I want you in my family. You'd be foolish to reject that offer from God. He says, I want to call you my beloved child. It's a good word for us to be reminded that our identity of a dearly loved child of God should directly motivate our imitating of our Father. If you haven't received God today as Father, today's a day to do it. If you haven't received Jesus today as Savior, today's the day to do it. And John chapter 1 tells us that when we do that, he gives us the right to become children of God. Don't live this life as an orphan. God, God, God paid for that. He already signed the papers on the cross, amen? He said, it's finished whenever you're ready to come home and come be, come be a part of his big family. There's grace, mercy, and love, agape love, in store for you. I like how the ESV Study Bible writes upon this verse. states, believers are to imitate God's holiness in all of their conduct. They are to be like him, not as slaves trying to earn a wage, Amen? 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 But as children, and beloved children at that. So, so often, we, I think there's a lot of people that see their, their relationship with God as slaves trying to earn a wage. That's not what Jesus called us to. He says, I'm not, I didn't call you as slaves, I called you beloved. Now, he does call us to serve him and follow him. And there's imagery of that in the Bible, but let's not move past the fact that God looks at me and at you and says, you're beloved, you're agape And that means that even if you blow it tomorrow, and even if you fall into sin today, welcome to the club, all right, first off, get back up again, you're agape and say, Jesus, I love you, I'm gonna get back up again, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna turn away from my sin this time, I'm gonna repent, repent means to turn and change your mind means I'm going to change my thinking because of who I'm imitating. Imitating is repenting. Imitating says I'm going to stop imitating the world. I'm going to start imitating God. And you know why I'm going to imitate God? Because he loves me. Because he loves me. Agape loves me. Like it's not just like, hey, I love you, bro. You, we, we cool, but we're not that cool. Love you, bro. <laughs> no, Jesus is like, no, I, I really love you. I'll die for you. Like, I'll be killed for you, and he, and he was. That's where we get this language in, in this verse today. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, verse 2 says, and walk in love. Now, this is a powerful picture of what we're now called to do, right? As practitioners of the gospel, we're called to walk in love. When I was reading this, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. He said, love is not an emotion, Love is a lifestyle. Amen? Love is not just how I feel. Our feelings go with the waves and the winds of life. Love is a lifestyle. Love is a choice. Agape love is an activity. Love is something you walk in, talk in, live in, walk in love. And now maybe today you might say, well, practically, Come on, Hayden, take me to 2019. How does this look? Don't stop at the commas. There's more to study, amen? 
Walk in love, picture, case in point, as Christ loved us, how did he love us? Good question. By giving himself up for us. The Christian life is made up of lots of little moments of giving yourself up to love God and love people. The quicker you can give yourself up, the more God can use you to do great things. Facts. If you can come to this reality that Jesus gave his life up for me because he loved me, maybe you can start thinking that way in your life. And people, guess what? People will start to see the love of Christ through you. Say, what? We don't have enough people giving themselves up for other people. And that's the thing we're called to imitate, right? Be imitators of God. What did God do? Gave himself up for us. You guys catching it? Okay, I'm supposed to be an imitator of God. Why? Because I'm a child that's loved by God. Well, what did God do? He loved us. Can you put your name in there for a second? Can I just use you, Jimmy? Jimmy, walk in love as Christ loved Jimmy and gave himself up for Jimmy. Does that make sense? Walk in love, Kahlo, because Christ loved Kahlo and gave himself up for you, right? Walk church. Put your, just put your name in the blank and begin to personalize the gospel for your own life because you need a real savior because you're a real sinner. The good news is that Jesus Christ, he loves you and he paid the price for our sin. He, he gave himself up for us. We see this a, a little bit more clearly in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at it together. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved. Do you see it again? Can we just start highlighting all the beloved verses? I might want to do a series called Beloved. Maybe around Valentine's Day. What do you think, Danny? It could work, maybe? Let's do it. Beloved, that's who we are. There's so many beloved verses. I think sometimes we rush past our identity. Don't, don't like, stop there and just go, wow, God really loves me. And he knows all about me. He knows all my flaws, all my sin, all my past. He knows all the times I'm going to mess up again, and he still calls me beloved. Let us love one another. I'm sorry, let us agape one another. For agape is from God. Where can you find agape? You'll find it with God. It's where it comes from. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. That God himself is holistically agape. That God is the personification of love. Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're trying to imitate love because we're imitating God and God is love and he loves us. Therefore, we should love him and one another. If we don't do that, here's why it's a big deal. If we, if we fail in this area, you might realize that you fail to even know God at all. That you might be deceiving yourselves that you are for real. But he says this, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape, they don't know God. I don't care what you tell me. It says here you don't know God because... Let me tell you something. God himself, at least the God of the Bible, this God, 
The Son of God, He is agape. Man, I wish we had more verses from 1 John. Verse. Let's keep going. I like it. We're here, right? Let's go to 9 and 11. In this, the agape of God was made manifest. You know what the word manifest means? It's here in front of us. How did the agape of God manifest itself to us? That God sent his only son into the church. Hold on, my bad. Into the world. Amen? You got to be able to plant yourself in this world and love people. That God sent his only, every word is important here, son, capital S, into the world. That God had one son, and he said, you're going to be a missionary. I'm going to send you on a cross-world trip. You're going to go from heaven to earth. And here's the mission, so that we might live through him. That you're going to create a space where people in Las Vegas can grow up, put their faith in Jesus, and live through you. Notice how this doesn't say live for him. We're not called to live for God. We're called to allow him to live through us. Some of us are working so hard, I'm trying to live for God. Have you ever seen a branch on a tree work hard? What does the branch do? It just stays connected to the vine. And the vine does the work. And so this tells us this. Hey, if you just stay connected to God and you just keep loving him and loving people, he'll begin to live through you. And this is agape. Not that we have agaped God, but that he agaped us and sent his son to be the, say this big word with me, propitiation. Propitiation for our sins. Beloved, second beloved. If God so agape me and you, walk church, we also ought to agape one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm with you, Teddy. Let's go. Let's go. Some of y'all are clapping while you're thinking, what the heck does propitiation mean? Maybe that's just what I was thinking. So I had to do some research on the word propitiation. Propitiation. It's a big word. It's a Biblical word, it's an important word. The, the, the short definition for propitiation is the word appease. To, to be the appeasement for our sins. Here's why there needs to be a propitiation, or there needs to be an appeasement. Or as one definition says, to regain someone's favor or make up something that you did which was wrong. Here's what propitiation means. Propitiation is the reality that you and I have all sinned. And if you think that you've never sinned, there goes another sin on your tally belt, right? We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That God has made us perfect uh, in his image, but sin has tainted that. And so our nature is to go away from God, to go against God. And that's called sin. We've missed his mark in one way or another. And because of that, God being holy, righteous and just all were all those three of those words are important that he's a holy god he's set apart he's a righteous god he's always right and he's a god of justice he's a just god because of that he cannot spare his wrath against injustice against sin for example 
Let's just go ahead and use yourself as an example. Let's say something was unjustly done to your kids or to your spouse or to you. And now you're in the courtroom. And that person who did that to you is right there and deserves to be charged with a punishable crime. And the judge looks at him and says, you know what? I'm just going to let you go free. How are you going to feel? You're going to be hurt. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bothered. You should be because there wasn't justice done. God is the same way, except his justice is toward us. We cannot sin and still be justified before God. There's a, there's a verse in the Psalms that says, in God's righteous right hand is a cup bubbling with his wrath. So God is in eternity, and in his hand is wrath, and his wrath is poured out against all sinners. Now, here's the reality. Either we can try to take on God's wrath, and it will completely crush us all the way to eternal hell. Or Jesus can step in and take on God's wrath for us, and it'll kill him on the cross. That's propitiation. That God does not spare wrath, it's just the fact that Jesus takes it for you, right? That Jesus says, I'm taking, I'm drinking all of your wrath for all of your sin because God loves you. And what happens is when God releases all of his wrath toward all of our sin, he is appeased because God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And we should receive his beloved grace toward us and not reject it. Could you imagine Satan? The word Satan, by definition, is accuser. The word Satan means one that accuses. Satan is going to be right there with you when you one day get to heaven. He's going to stand right there with you. Hey, did you know? Did you know that John did this, 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 and this and go on the whole list? How are you going to beat the case? One word, Jesus. Because God is going to say, yep, you're right. He has blown it. He has sinned. She has sinned. She has missed my perfect standard. And in that moment, your advocate, Jesus, will say, yeah, and I died for all of their shortcomings. And by their faith in me, they have been set free from the law. That, that is the gospel. That's the reminder that we can be new. We can be forgiven. The propitiation for our sins was Jesus. He took the place to appease God's wrath so that we could become children too. Amen? Does that make sense? So with that said, amen? With that said, this is good news. I mean, it, it is sombering news and great, beautiful news at the same time. This news should motivate us. This news should compel us to love well, to love God well, and to love people well. That's why when they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613. Jesus, tell us what's the greatest. And, and Jesus said it like this. Easy question. Number one, love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. What he meant is love God with all of you. Because if you can love God with all, A-L-L, all of your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, that's everything. 
And he says, and after that, love your neighbor the same way. Wow. That we're going to spend a lifetime doing those two things. He says, you just do those two things, the whole law is summed up there. All 613 summed up right there. Love God, love people. And what type of love? Agape love. This is the hardest thing in the world. And that's why it can't be you doing it yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to live through you. Because if you try really hard to do this yourself, you're going to burn out. Like, man, I tried to live the Christian life. I burnt out. Absolutely. You needed to stop trying and start trusting so that God could live his life through you, through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Man, I, I could stay here for a lot longer. But we got to finish this message up. As, as we close here, right, it says, walk in love as, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He, he gave himself up for us. I mean, he made that choice, I'm giving myself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I love this phrase right here. I'm still learning more about it, but this concept that the cross represents a fragrant offering. I don't know, when I think about fragrance, I'm, I think about whenever I'm at the mall and I walk into Bath and Body Works. Come on, right? It, you could just walk by the store and it just... What is that Melanie fresh smell, right? Just need some of that. We got some in the bathrooms, praise the Lord, right? But this is a different type of fragrance right here. See, the Old Testament law, specifically in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, demonstrate the law that God set up through his servant Moses. So the Levitical law, specifically in chapters 1 through 3, talk about all the different offerings that need to be presented before God in the Old Testament. And when the priest presents an offering, oftentimes a lamb, that needed to be spotless and blemishless, that this would go up to God, that there would be an aroma, a scent that would go up to God. It would appease his wrath, and he would pronounce forgiveness in that moment for the people who brought their sacrifice and offering to God. But people began to just find their loopholes in it. They'll say, hey, I'm just going to go to the club, sin all week. I'll just go back to the church the next week and present a new offering. And God said, I'm not pleased with that. I want your heart. And God said, I, can, I see you. I'm watching you the whole time. You're not fooling anybody. You're actually hindering your own life and other people as well. And so what God did was he showed so much grace. And he said, look, I'm going to send one final offering. It's going to be my son. And the, the final offering, the true lamb of God, is found in the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. Which is why John the Baptist when he locks eyes on Jesus, he says, behold, do you know what he says? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Walk Church, takes away the sin of the world. The, John the Baptist says to all his followers, he says, everybody look, that, that right there, that's Jesus. He's about to take away the sin of the world. He's the real, capital L, Lamb of God. He's the final sacrificial Lamb of God. And so in a similar way to Leviticus, when the priests would offer their sacrifices and there would be a scent that goes up, fix your eyes now on the cross. See Jesus on the cross. He's giving himself up for us, and there's a fragrance going up to heaven that's pleasing to God, that he is the final sacrifice. J. Vernon McGee says it like this. He says that the cross was the brazen altar. This is Old Testament language. This is language right out of the OT. The cross was the brazen altar where the Lamb of God 
was offered as the burnt sacrifice. That sacrifice takes away the sin of the world. It identifies Christ with every sacrifice that was offered in the Old Testament by God's command. They all pointed to him. So the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament, you can go to Israel right now. I've been to Israel. I've been in the place where the Old, Test- the old Temple used to lay. And nobody's sacrificing nothing. There's no sacrifices. Do you know why? Because it's done. It's done. And that everybody, Jewish people, Muslim people, Hindu people, of all faiths, even Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses need to come to the realization that they can't earn it. It's done. You can't work hard enough to earn your salvation. Your wrongs will always outdo your rights. Satan will make sure of it. He's going to accuse you till your last day. Your only hope is Jesus. So if you have the mentality here today, hey, only God can judge me. That's your problem. Because he will. You're already guilty. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn you. You're already condemned. How are you going to win the case? The propitiation is found in my Savior, Jesus, who loved me enough to die for me and to adopt me into his family. In his family. That's the gospel. Warren Wearsby says it like this. We'll close with prayer. He says, the death of Christ satisfies the holy law of God and therefore is acceptable and pleasing to the Father. Jesus Christ died, rose, is coming again, and it would be so wise of us. It would be a win for us. It would be smart of us to get on his team and to say, thank you for dying for me, rising for me, and for giving me new life as well. Amen? Let's pray.